I love that song. Say what? <laughs> Amen. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13 this morning. Mark is kind of winding down here uh, the details and the retelling of, of Jesus' Galilean ministry. And he's turning it toward a little bit look at Jerusalem and the politics that are eventually going to lead to Christ's crucifixion. Um, Herod's going to get involved in this a little bit. And uh, so he's turning it around. And so right here is a kind of a, a big turning point. After Christ is rejected at Nazareth, which we talked about two weeks ago, after he is, his hometown did not accept him, he now starts a new strategy with the 12 disciples. He launches them into a proclamation ministry. So let's see this with verses uh, 7 through 13 and then verse 30 as well. Let me read this to you. He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, when you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Jump down to verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this example. Jesus, I thank you for sending the 12 out so that we can see how we should go, how we should be sent out. Help us to go in your authority and your power because we carry the Holy Spirit with us. Give us a word this morning, Father, to our hearts to call us out of our timidity, out of our shyness, our introvertedness, whatever it may be, and call us to speak the gospel to those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You remember the first time you got to drive somewhere and mom and dad tossed you the keys and said, let's go to the store. Remember how you felt? I was, I was ignorant, so I was pretty happy. I thought, I can handle this. But sometimes there's a little fear, there's a little trepidation, there's a little bit of, maybe the first time you got on the interstate, that might have been a little scary. Um, but, but you started the car and you went ahead and began to drive. Because you'd been trained, you'd been instructed. Well, like that, Jesus now throws the car keys to the 12 disciples. He says, all right, guys, go tell. And uh, he, he gives them an opportunity for their first mission trip to carry his message of repentance to the Jews in Palestine. And so Jesus empowers these 12 disciples, these 12 novices at preaching. None of them were called preachers. None of them were former preachers. Uh, no one had ever probably even done any public speaking. So he gives these 12 novices the authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to preach repentance and faith. How did Jesus send these men out? Well, let's look at it. He used three steps to launch the disciples into what they would become the future apostles. 
the future apostles. And he starts by basically calling them. And he uses the same thing for us. But look at verse 7. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. If you flip back over in Mark to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, this is what Jesus does or what Mark says about Jesus when he appoints these twelve. He says, and he appointed the twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. So this is why Jesus called them. And now he's putting feet to that. He's actually thrown them the car keys and said, let's do it, boys. So after the faithlessness in Nazareth, like I said, Jesus now decides to put the disciples to work. Okay, you guys have been watching. You guys have been enjoying, listening, all this. It's time to get to work. So he summons them, and he formally assigns them a task. Go preach the news of repentance, heal the sick, cast out demons. And he gives them his authority kind of in a temporary way. I don't want you to think that, well, they were, they were specially endowed eventually, but he gives them his authority in a temporary way. And this authority is meant for the revealing of the message, okay? And we've got to keep that in mind, the good news. See, power over demons should equate to power over sin, that he can conquer sin, he can conquer death. And that's why he gave them the ability to cast out demons and to heal people. So Jesus ordained them to show the signs of his power, of his message. See, real faith will see the exorcisms that will happen. Real faith will see those as the good news of forgiveness. They will not see them as just a parlor trick or just an amazing event. He chose them for this. He even chose Judas for this event. I wonder who got paired up with Judas. Hmm. I wonder how that went. But anyway, he chose them for this, even Judas. And he paired them up in twos because that was the requirement for witnesses. You need two witnesses to confirm everything. That was a Jewish cultural thing. It was in, it's in the Old Testament. So he sent them out in pairs, and he sends them with his message. Now, I use the word ordain here because it means basically to invest in someone the authority and responsibility of a particular office. So he kind of ordains them formally here for this particular mission, gives them his authority. Now, we use this term around here for ordaining pastors, ordaining elders, ordaining deacons. But I believe all believers are ordained to carry the message of Jesus Christ. So we're all ordained in some form or fashion to carry this message, not to necessarily fulfill those offices. You know that every gospel writer in the New Testament gave us a Great Commission passage. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know that one, should know that one. Luke 24, 47. John 20, 21. Jesus says again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is after the resurrection, before the ascension. And then Acts 1, 1, 8 says, You will be clothed with power, and then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and as the King James likes to say, the uttermost parts of the world. So we have these commissionings as Christians and in believers. We have been commissioned. All who profess faith in Christ, who trust Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, are called to carry the gospel. That means you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're called to carry the gospel. See, Jesus doesn't change your heart, save your soul, 
offer you eternal life, leave you here on planet Earth for you just to sit and soak and enjoy that. We're called to go tell. We're called to that. It is now your new purpose as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's what your purpose in life should be. Finding ways to tell people about Jesus. And there's a myriad of ways. Wherever you are, you don't have to go be a missionary in the Congo to do this. But we'll talk about that a little bit more later. So we're called to learn the message like the disciples did, its meaning and its purpose, and then we're to share it verbally with people, not verbally to yourself. It's easy to lead myself to Christ every day in the mirror. I can do that. But, you know, ready or not, the 12 weren't ready. I'm sure they were like, we're what? The 12 weren't ready. So ready or not, we need to be ready. We need to go. How many other things in life were we not ready for? Marriage? We thought we were. <laughs> Children? None of us that I've met and, and had an honest conversation with. So we, we've done things in life done things in life that we weren't ready for, we thought, but we did them. Jesus is telling you, he's throwing you the car keys to carry the message. He says, get out there and drive it home. Now, we as a church can also do this in a different, another way. We need to be ready as a church to ordain someone to carry that gospel message if they're called a specific office or a specific job, like a pastor. So, for example... God has called Jeremy to the gospel ministry. He's called Gary, and he's gifted Jeremy for this. And so we're, uh, we're in the process of uh, bringing him on full-time, 1st of January. And we want you to pray about it. I want you to pray about it. We're praying about it for a month. But we're calling him to this because we have the privilege, but we also have the responsibility as a body of Christ to commission those people and to help them. And we owe it to give him the time and the education he needs and the experience to come here, be a pastor for a little while. So we'll bring him in as a minister in training, but he's going to focus on music and youth for a while. Um, we'll see where God leads him after that. God only knows. And we're just going to let uh, God be guiding us in this. So pray over this, this decision. If you have any questions about it, come see me. Um, or you can get some, I got some information in the, in the office if you'd like to read about what the position would look like. We'll vote on it at the November business meeting this month. So, so anyway, we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to do it, but we're also supposed to help train people to do it. So Christ called the disciples, and he basically summoned them and now commissions them to go out and carry the message. But first, he's got to get them in the right mindset. So he takes a second here to kind of give them a, a good perspective on how they should go out. Look at verses 8 through 11. He orders their mindset for this mission. Eight, verses 8 through 11. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, when you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus needed his disciples to conduct themselves in a, a particular way when they went out for this mission. So he says, take only a staff, basically a walking stick. I know a lot of us around here have walking sticks. We, we need walking sticks. Take only a walking stick, sandals, and one shirt, or one tunic if you have another translation. One shirt. The reason is because sometimes people would carry or wear two shirts, and that usually indicated you were wealthy 
if you wore two shirts, two tunics. Take no money. What? Take no money. Don't take a bag of provisions of any kind. No extra clothing. Why? Why would he do this? Well, let's, let's look at a couple of reasons why. First of all, he wants them to be totally dependent on God. And now they are. <laughs> if they go with just that, they are totally dependent on God. But he also didn't want them to appear like they were rich or that they were profiteers. There's a lot of false teachers back in that time would travel around and start telling something and people would think they were a, a great teacher and they would, you know, and then some of them got took by them and so they... He, did, he wanted to, to protect them from that assumption. See, they would have to ask for help. <laughs> Not something most of us are prone to do. They would have to ask for help. They would have to request their needs to be met. They would have to ask somebody for food. They would have to ask somebody for shelter. But it would have to make them, force them, hopefully, encourage them to adopt a humble attitude toward whoever they were talking to. And toward the people. This mission needed to be conducted not in a verbose way, not in a military conquering way, but in a humble, loving way. Jesus wanted them to stay put when a person hosted them. So one of the things the false teachers would do is they would come to a home and then as they got famous in the town, someone richer would offer them a little better accommodations. And so they would hop around to different houses and get better accommodations. But Jesus didn't want them to do that. If you go to a place and someone hosts you, stay there until you're done at that place, until you're finished in that town. So don't move around. Now, Matthew 10, actually, in the account of this, adds the fact that bless the house that you come to and you're staying with. Put your peace upon that house and let that peace stay there if, they're, if they accept you, if they're hosting you. But if they reject you. See, what does it mean when he says if they don't welcome you, or receive you. Well, here's what it means. No one's hosting them. No one's listening to them. And people are probably ridiculing their message, putting it down, disrespecting the speaker. That's what Jesus means by not welcome. If any place does not welcome or listen to you. If they reject, refuse, ridicule the message of forgiveness, then take the peace back. And shake the dust off your feet. This is not a revengeful act. This is not something you do. It's a testimony. That, uh, okay, you've heard. I'm leaving you in God's hands. And that's, that's, uh, that was the symbol of it. Shaking the dust off your feet or shaking out your robe. Um, if, all the dust of the town. See, these re reactions that people have, they're against Jesus. They're not against us. They're not against the disciples. They're against Jesus. And so we shouldn't take them personally. Christ does not ask us to continue to preach to those who will not listen. Who will not listen at all, at least. So if they were given an audience by someone, they would keep telling them the gospel. They would keep preaching it. And if they wouldn't listen, they would testify that these people would not listen to their disbelief by shaking the dust off the feet. They would walk away. And I believe they would pray for them. I believe we're called to pray for them. But they would be done with them. In that point in time. And God will judge them if they refuse his grace on the last day. So it's not our job to convince people. And it wasn't the disciples' job to convince people. This wasn't we're going out and have debates with everybody. This was telling the good news and letting them accept it. Jesus wanted them in a humble and dependent mindset 
when carrying the message of repentance. I mean, if there was any hint of profiteering, any hint of self-glamoring themselves and making themselves look good, it would pollute the message of Jesus Christ. Humility is the mindset we take the gospel to people. I've talked to many missionaries and many been on some mission fields, and there's a lot of things we may not have when we go there, okay? Some of the comforts that we're used to here at home may not be in the mission field. And Jesus is getting his disciples ready. And you know what? Those people in, in some of these austere places that we take the gospel, they can spot a phony. Someone who's always worried about running water, electricity, comfort. You know, it's, it's not hard to spot us when we're phony. You know, Luke, Jesus said in Luke 14, 11, it says, if anyone exalts himself, he will be humbled. But anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So that's why it's humble love that we go to the lost world and take the gospel. And when we go to other countries and we go to other, other cultures, we need to accept their ways as long as they're not violating God's word and be tolerant of their priorities. Some things are very important to them that aren't very important to us. And trust me, there are a lot of things that are very important to us that aren't very important to them. I had a, a, an Afro, a, a man in Madagascar tell me, he said, Americans, they have watches. Africans, we have time. And so there was never in a hurry, ever, they were never in a hurry to do anything. They just, you know, did as, as, time, as they wanted to, when they wanted to. Their, their priorities were different. What we think we may need to live on may be a luxury over there. An extreme luxury, like running water. I mean, there's a lot of the world that does not have running water. Sewage systems. Electrical power, air conditioning. These are not necessary to preach the gospel. I went out into the bush in Madagascar, into this village, and they had a generator out there in the, in the bush big enough to power the town, but they shut it off every morning at 2 a.m. and come back on at like 7 or something. But um, it, you don't have to have it to take the gospel. But even as a church, even as a church, we have some things we think we need, like a building. I have seen churches meet outside under a tree in Africa. Um, we got to be in the right mindset to witness as well. So we need to be careful when we're witnessing here to not use too much Christian language, if you know what I mean. I mean, I grew up using it all. Born again, saved, you know, um, forgiven, the, forgiven of sins, you know, all the things that we, we say, but sometimes the world doesn't know what we're talking about. So we got to kind of maybe break it down for them. So you need to spend some time thinking about how to break it down for them. Now they got to understand that there's a God and you're separated from him by your evil deeds, your crimes. The word that we use for sin in the Chinese language means crimes, and it's serious crimes. So the first time you use it to a Chinese person, they're going to be like, I have not committed any crimes against God you have. So it's, it's good to break down our language, to stop using so much church house language. Because God calls us to go and tell with a mindset of humility and dependence on him. Total humility and total dependence on him. So Jesus has instructed you how to drive. He just gave them the instructions on, on how to go out and do this. Now we just need to obey and tell the world. That's what we're called to do. So we're called, and now we're prepared. 
And Jesus has got the disciples right where he needs them. But even then, we must remember that the outcomes are the Lord's, not ours. We can't take any credit for it. He oversees the results of his ministry. Look at verses 12 through 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. In verse 30, after uh, the interruption of John the Baptist's issue, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. They were excited. They had seen God work. So they went to the people of Israel. They didn't go to the Samaritans. They didn't go to the Gentiles at this point. Matthew 10 gives us that little information. And they preached this. You memorize this verse. You may not remember it. Mark 1.15. This is what they preached. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Their sermons were pretty short. <laughs> and they probably did a lot of explaining after that. Today we can preach that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, buried, rose for the forgiveness of your sins. So trust Jesus for your, the forgiveness of your sins by God Almighty. So we have a different message maybe a little bit, but it's still the same. Their message was empowered by the Spirit with the authority of the events, the actions that took place. It sounded simple, but it was effective. And then they showed them the power of the message by the exorcisms, the healings, those kind of things just demonstrated. So demons were cast out, people were healed, the oil of gladness flowed. They used the oil to kind of symbolize God's presence. It was something the Jews were very familiar with. If you go back in the Old Testament, everything was purified with some sort of form of dropping, dropping or dipping or tapping oil on stuff. But the message is always most important. The message is always the most important thing. Sometimes we, we think we've got to have a razzle-dazzle for the message so people will, hey, pay attention to us. Just, we just got to tell the message. The message is the most important thing. The miracles point to the message. Without the message, the miracles are just amazing events or fortunate events or coincidences, a lot of people today like to call them. Without the message, they're, they're just those things. But these results came about because Jesus ordained them, he ordered their dependence on him, and he oversaw the ministry. He oversaw their, their mission trip from a distance. He wasn't right with them the whole time. He gave them his authority. These men learned a lesson, and they, they learned this lesson for the future establishment of the church of Jesus Christ. These 11 of these 12 men will go on to establish the church of Jesus Christ in first century Palestine. And through the persecution and the torture, and the ridicule that they will face, they will remember what happened when they got sent out. And that the power of Jesus Christ was with them, and the message was real, and validated by that, both signs. And this gives them the courage they will need. We're going to see, as we finish through Mark, you're going to see they still hadn't gotten it. But they'll remember this, and it'll make a difference in how they establish and lead the church. See, the results really weren't the demons being cast out. And the results really weren't, wasn't a whole bunch of people got saved, I mean healed. The results were people heard the word of God. That's the results. Some believed, maybe some didn't. But the, the, the result was that Jesus got the message of repentance out to Palestine, to the Jews. The message is always the most important part of our truth. As Paul said to the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. And that's the, that's the message that we carry. That's the message they carry. It's got to be our attitude about this. Paul Revere's ride. Remember that? The stories? I had part of the poem memorized at some point, but he rode on the 18th of April in 1775 to warn the towns of Concord and Lexington that the British were coming. One if by land, two if by sea, et cetera, et cetera, all that. What if he rode to those towns and said nothing? Just rode. How effective would that have been? It wouldn't have been effective. It wouldn't have done anything. It would be action without message. Paul confronts this with the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hearing, hearing. you got to hear somebody say something. That's what we're here to do. We're here to tell people about Jesus. We tend to measure gospel ministry a lot of times by, by numbers, by money, by size. Those are, those are not great measurements. How many resources we have, those are not great measurements. We should be measuring gospel ministry by maturity, by spiritual changes, by eternity. How many people have looked toward eternity instead of looking to now? That's how we should be measuring it. I mean, we want to see people baptized like this. We want to see people baptized. That's... that's a good measure, but baptism is a sign of the message. If we don't make sure that these people believe Jesus Christ, truly believe Jesus Christ, there's no reason to fill the baptistry. We're just giving everybody false hope. If we want to see real change in Altamont or in the state of Illinois or in the United States or in the world, we must speak the message of Jesus. And that's, that's the point that Jesus is driving home here. We don't need to be the speechless Paul Revere riding around, looking like a Christian maybe, but not saying anything. We need to speak. We need to tell the world about eternal life that's in Jesus Christ. We need to call them to repent and believe. Even if you can't go to other countries, and I understand that, go across the street. Tell them about Jesus. Go over the back fence and... Talk to them. Find somebody. Tell them. Even if they, you know they go to church, tell them anyway. They may hear something that they've never heard. Churches are full of lost people. People who think they are saved. Tell them anyway. And leave the results to God. He is the one who saves. Our task is just to be a herald of good news. It's like driving. Getting there safe is a successful trip. Telling someone about Jesus is a successful witness, whether they accept or not. So as I summarize this, Jesus summoned the 12. He ordered their minds rightly, and then he oversaw the whole ministry that they had. He gave them results. So now what does this mean for us? Well, I want you to see how God has ordained us, has ordered us, and has oversaw the results. This baptism is a result of us sending Bibles to India. And Pandu is going to be having another crusade in January. We'll be trying to come up with some ways to send them some more Bibles. But he's used us as a church body in that very austere and dark place spiritually. 
But we need to be more involved locally as well. We don't need to be timid or fearful. We need to tell the world about Jesus. We've had a couple of campaign things around here. We've had, who's your one? Pick someone to try to get in a gospel conversation with. We've also had other things like share Jesus without fear, learning how to share your faith. But I want to stress something to us as the church, First Baptist Church of Altamont, the spiritual revitalization of any church, the spiritual revitalization of any and all churches starts with telling others about Jesus Christ. Christ must be the priority or we fail. And that doesn't just mean me or Jeremy or the deacons. It means all of us. Nothing makes a church healthier than telling others about the way, the truth, and the life. That's true health. Just being here, prominent building by the interstate, that doesn't do it. Someone may come because they see the building, but that doesn't save souls. Telling them the message. Adding a youth pastor, a music pastor, a recreation pastor, that doesn't save souls. Telling people about Jesus does. People telling others about Jesus will revitalize and invigorate a church. And if you want to help reinvigorate our church to spiritually revitalize it, tell someone about your Savior. Whether they come to our church or not does not even matter. They believe in Jesus Christ, we'll take care of the other part afterwards. We need to build the kingdom, not our our little corner of it here. Jesus wants us to do that. That's what he's called this church to do. He's called us to tell. That's the reason he puts any church anywhere is to tell other people about Jesus. I hope you got that. Now, if you don't have a Savior, if you don't know who I'm talking about, you can. If you don't believe in Jesus, you can believe in Jesus. Faith believes with conviction that Jesus 